Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. Today we're discussing The Zone of Interest, the new film from the beloved filmmaker's filmmaker, the ever-interesting British director Jonathan Glazer. His story is loosely based on the Martin Amis novel of the same name. The film is set toward the end of the Second World War around the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp in Poland. The story follows camp commandant Rudolf Hess, played by Christian Friedel, as he labours under the burden of expectation that he can meet and indeed increase the number of Jews that he can murder to succeed in achieving Hitler's final solution. Glazer's camera doesn't enter Auschwitz. Instead, we follow Huss, his wife Hedvig, played by Sandra Huller, and their family as they live an all-too-normal life on the other side of the camp wall, where they tend an immaculate garden, enjoy picnics, entertain Nazi top brass, gossip with friends and throw children's parties. Huss takes meetings with engineers to discuss more streamlined systems of killing, while Hedvig picks out dresses and jewellery from condemned prisoners, sashaying in the mirror while we hear the constant low roar of furnaces, a scream, gunfire. But our Nazi family never hear them. For them, it is business as usual. The sound design is vital to this film, as is the mesmerising, ghoulish soundtrack of Michael Levi. The Zone of Interest explores the banality of evil by showing its quotidian side, its managerial headaches, the stress put on a marriage by a possible transfer to another camp that requires some murderous discipline and direction from Huss. Why would Hedwig want to leave such an idyllic place as Auschwitz? The zone of interest power lies in its restraint and just how different it appears to other films that have told Holocaust stories. The film's power also lies in its performances. Two very fine German actors, Christian Friedel and Sandra Huller, play Rudolf and Hedwig Huss. And on this programme, we'll be speaking to Christian and the film critic Jason Solomons. First up is Christian Friedel. We'll learn how it feels to play Auschwitz Commandant Rudolf Hirsch. But first, I began by asking him how he generally prepared for the role. It was a really different than other movies because Jonathan and his team, they did a really great investigation and preparation for this. And we had a lot of conversations together, together with my lovely colleague uh, Sandra, and I think this was the most important thing for me to create this character. It was not so necessary to read the whole biography or something. Mm. I listened to his voice from the Nuremberg Tri. You can hear him at YouTube. And it's not the voice of commandant in his prime. It's more a voice of a prisoner. But it was maybe this could be the real Rudolf Hess. We don't know mm. it, but it was interesting to hear that. And then I had some technical preparations for this role, for example, to learn horseback riding or to gain weight and lose weight for different parts of the movie. And and then it was more to be spontaneous in a way because Jonathan invites us to to search for the truth, for the banality, for this ordinary life, what could be, what situations we are in. And it was more, yeah, it was more a search. And for me, Jonathan shares his vision very early. He was very transparent from the beginning. And I think this was, for me, the most important key 
or door opener to this character. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing. You talk, Christian, about the sort of it's be you know it's a phrase that's often used the banality of of evil, but there is something just sort of super ordinary about this family man, his family life with this awful death factory next door that he sort of you know whistle you know he puts his hat on and whistles his way to work as he goes it's 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 an amazingly unnerving performance that you you hold together so so precisely and what was that like working with um working with Jonathan Glazer on set I understand that this sort of set was built right next to in Poland you know it was geographically accurate and all the rest of it using lots of different cameras and some really interesting on-set techniques and reading around the subject a little bit. What was it like on set, you know, acting so naturalistically with Sandra and the rest of the cast? For me, this was an experience I would never forget. It was an inspiring experience too, because to working with a multi-camera system, and Jonathan described it very often, um, Big Brother in a Nazi house. Mm -hmm. And, And that was really great because there were no technical interruptions or something. And Jonathan and his team were in a trailer outside of the set, next to the set, with 10 monitors, and it was really amazing. And to be alone on set and to be alone in this house and to have all the time in the world to create the situations or to find the right tone or to have the freedom to make variations or improvisations to get into the right mood... That was really, really amazing. And Jonathan invites us to create variations to... Sometimes it's better not to know so much about what's going on, to feel free, to to trust your instincts. And then we had the run-through from the whole scene. And sometimes there were someone who yelling, cut, and then... But sometimes not. Sometimes we had a run-through from an hour, for example... And we decided for ourselves when we start again or what we are doing now or so. And that was really amazing. And then if there were someone calling, uh, yelling cut, then Jonathan came to us and talked to us. And yeah, and sometimes he gave us really inspiring sentences and, and said, please search here for this or think about that. And and very often he said, don't act, uh, be. That was the challenge to be because the cameras observe the characters and not follow them in the conventional way. And he had written a phenomenal script, but sometimes he said, maybe there's something else we don't know. Let's figure it out together. And to have this freedom and all the time to create this, this was really amazing. And you and Sandra's two German actors playing those roles has a heavy quality, obviously, to it as well. What's that like? You you must have been very supportive of each other in that environment, in which to be very trusting of your director and your and your cast and crew, but especially with your relationship with Sandra, because it is essentially this as we said, this kind of hyper-ordinary story of a, of a kind of stressed-out executive and his wife wants to s- climb some sort of social scale in, in, the, in Nazi circles, doesn't she? So, so you and Sandra must have gotten very close making this film, I'd imagine. We are friends. We're becoming friends mm. because we uh, had another movie, I think it was 12 years ago, and we met for the first time and, and immediately we fall in love as colleagues, not as um, a, a couple, but we we trust 
each other and we said we have us here and and every day we had a phone call or a dinner or something to yeah it was great to have her at my side so that was really great and trust it's it's a really important word because Jonathan he doesn't speak German but he understand us he feel if it's right or if it's wrong and that was really amazing and we trust him a lot it's an interesting one to obviously have such a another brilliant actor with you in so many of those scenes as a support off camera as well i suppose as well but i wondered how easy christian is to act in such an ordinary quiet way you know you'd said you said i don't want to be the best or the boldest or the sort of like the most noticeable actor on set or, or on, on in the picture but your performance is so effective because it is such a sort of quiet, subtle performance where you have to believe that this man is not a monster, but he is capable of monstrous things somehow. Do you, did you have anything kind of bouncing around in the back of your mind, a mantra or something that helped you be so uh, contained in your performance, I wonder? First of all, I, I love to transform myself in a, in a character and to trust the director's vision and... For me, it's more important. It's the same. I'm, my first work was with Michael Haneke in The White Ribbon, and it's a film. I'm more a bystander of the story. I'm telling the story. My my character is the main character, but he he telling the story. But he's like a bystander. He's listening. He's watching. So, and that was the most important thing because. Um, and here is the same. It was more more important. I had some very emotional scenes, but they all cut out of the movie. And I really understand the decision because in, in Jonathan's vision, we watch ordinary people, sometimes boring, sometimes. And do they have a, a secret or do they know what they're doing? Or And that's great because these two people or these people in this movie, this is one example for hundreds of people who act in this way, who arranged with a brutal system. And, and I think for me, it was important to be there. And, and Jonathan said to me, you, you have the pictures in your mind, but keep it in your mind. Don't show me that. And, and feel the tension in your body that the work always, he's always thinking on, on his work. He wants to be the best in his work. But if you are in the house, if you are with the kids or in the nature, then try to be only be there. So and mm. and I try to be sometimes don't think so much, be there. So that was a challenge. It was really a really challenge because as an actor, you want to give all of you in all the scenes. But here it was important to be sometimes invisible or sometimes. Yeah. And that was a, a real challenge. And to keep all these pictures in my mind that was a tough cocktail yeah and what about I mean directors successful directors obviously are writing their scripts they're making the images they're working so so hard but a lot of it I presume is also about a mood on set a mood that's created there's there are a few things more serious than the subject matter of that's lying behind this this film Christian but what about keeping a sort of collegiate and friendly mood on set. How is that achieved and how was that? How did Jonathan Glazer, if he did, because it seems obviously the film's a massive success, a creative success, but how is that achieved on set by a director like that, I wonder? It's a good question because we felt the responsibility towards the victims every day 
and it, it's a serious subject matter. It's uh, it was. I was one day I was sitting in on a lovely marketplace in Oswiecim, and uh, and forget. Uh, where I am, and and then I really immediately, oh my God, I forget where I am. How easy it is to forget where you are, and how easy it is to protect yourself sometimes. Because I know what I had this beautiful haircut. I wear a hat in my private days, and I know what the project is about. And we had all these conversations about this, and sometimes you you forget where you are and and that was really interesting and but on set sometimes we had i cannot say fun in a way but sometimes it was more a technical search or at the beginning of 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 shooting we were searching for the right way to work with this multi camera system it was more we spoken about how we can manage this how is the best way to do this how can we act in this way and what's important and what's not and that was uh, sometimes yeah really interesting what filmmaking was yeah we were so close to the original set and then for example the scene with Sandra in the bed at night and we giggling and and so and we asked Jonathan uh, is it allowed to to laugh or something but it was really important that we are humans and we are there and we know what we are doing and we are capable of it and we feel the responsibility but but it's also filmmaking i wonder if it felt just finally christian if it felt like a sort of relief to finish the film in a certain way despite you know all of the the great the great professional satisfaction you must have got from making the film and working with these great people great directors great actors and things like that was it a relief actually to finish it <laughs> Absolutely. It was a relief. And I was thinking, I'm finished, my part is finished. And then I had to come back one year later, come back to this part and come back to this wonderful haircut. And it was, I was not so happy about this, but I was uh, grateful that Jonathan in this post-production process, he, he said, there are some puzzle things missing. Some parts are missing from this character and it's important to do this now. For example, the scene Rudolf say goodbye to the, to his horse. It's an emotional scene. We had a lot of variations. It was my last scene and my last shooting scene for this movie. And it's an important scene because he said goodbye in a different way to animals than to humans. And how he is with animals than to humans, that is really an interesting point for this character and for his compartmentalization of things and so and I was really grateful that Jonathan decided to do this and put this on on the original script and a film and yeah but it was a relief and to to talk about and now to talk about with you about this and it's great to talk about this work we are I'm really proud of of this work I'm really grateful to be a part of Jonathan's vision but I'm really happy that it's uh, that I shake this character out of my body. That was the actor Christian Friedel, brilliant as Rudolf Hirth.
Now, the task of conveying the abject horror of the Holocaust on the big screen is complicated, to say the least. To dig a little further into how the medium confronts the dark events of those years and to what extent Glazer effectively does this in the zone of interest, I spoke with the film critic Jason Solomons. I began by asking Jason about his initial reaction to the film, which he saw at the Cannes Film Festival last summer. Obviously, it came with a lot of expectation. I think when you have a Jonathan Glazer film, I think when he's adapting a Martin Amos novel and the subject is the Holocaust, I think you're looking for something that's otherworldly, that's from another planet. Jonathan's films generally are completely alien almost. I mean, literally with Under Under the Skin, the last film we watched, and Birth as well has this alien sort of quality mm-hmm. to it. That's what I was expecting from Zone of Interest. And I think it delivers very much in that respect. We are talking about a time when the world was another planet. The Holocaust is going on and people are living their lives next door it and bringing up children and getting congratulated for the, their numbers being up and having a good month in January and getting rid of, uh, you know, however many Jews it is. So the world is turned on its head. So it's perfect alien landscape for Jonathan Glazer to mine. Does he pull this trick off? Does he does he make us feel that it's in another world? I think it, both things, really. He's supposed to make it think of another world, yet it's very much part of our reality and what actually happened. So to straddle the two, I think the first time I saw it in Cannes, I wasn't sure. I wanted to be shocked and come out of that theatre absolutely numb and completely shaken to the core. One of its stars is Christian Friedel, who plays Rudolf Hoss. Uh, and I remember watching The White Ribbon there, Michael Haneke's film, in yes. which Christian Hoss, I think it was his debut film, he plays a teacher in that. And coming out of that thinking, I've never seen a film like that before. Uh, and it was very much what I felt uh, about Zone of Interest, that it was a, a sort of son of Son of Saul, which I'd seen at Cannes, and mm. White Ribbon, which I'd also seen at Cannes. Not quite as original as I'd hoped for from Glazer, but nevertheless, a clearly an important and interesting work with all those kind of... Uh, things that he adds so well, Mikalevi's score, for example, and the sound design by Johnny Byrne, which is just otherworldly, this yells and cries going on in the background, and this subject matter of this family bringing up their children in this Garden of Eden, they call it, next door, the Auschwitz concentration camp. So, yes, it's a film that needs processing, like the millions of uh, and hundreds and thousands of Jews that went through the camp, the film itself needs processing. And I have recently seen it again as, as the film comes out. So that's my history of that film with a lot to live up to with Jonathan Glazer and his sort of very rare forays into making movies. Well, exactly. And it, this otherworldly thing, you mentioned Under the Skin and Birth, two things which obviously do take on other realms. We are sadly in the realm of 20th century humanity here. Thanks for such a a cogent take, I mean, remembering how you felt about it from Cannes. Having seen it again, perhaps at a London screening, having let it seep in, you said it needs some processing. It does indeed. How did you feel about it now? Because it is it is a film, and, and you mentioned Mika Levi's score and the, uh, and the sound design. There is a sense of kind of throbbing dread throughout this film. That's something that I came out of the screening I saw it in, in London, with a very dry mouth and a kind of crestfallen, but sort of tri- having seen a, a triumphal, triumphal piece of of cinema but obviously crestfallen about the reality of it but how did you feel the second time around and I wonder if this tone worked on you more whether it still needed a bit of processing 
no, the tone definitely comes to the fore the second time around. I was allowing myself to look at all the details, to look at the formal brilliant, which include Lucas Zahl's uh, cinematography. Now, Zahl has done similar work for Pavel Pawlikowski and the films like... On Ida and things. And, yeah, yeah. so uh, black and white. This was great because it's not... One of the things that, interestingly, from Cannes, I remember it being in black and white which is not at all. It's in this kind of very vibrant colour, mm. colour being an important part of it. Lilacs at one point become a sort of symbol. So it, it wasn't in, it wasn't in black and white at all. So that was that was interesting. And Lucas Zahl, I think, is a tremendous cinematographer. So all of these things made me slightly disappointed that Glazer hadn't come up with a new language for the Holocaust. That was my disappointment with the film. Because I was thinking, well, you know, if Glazer so often comes up with a mm. new language, Under the Skin is a film like no one ever had made before. And if he was going to do that with this subject of the Holocaust, then then great. Then we have another addition to a sad but necessary canon of films about this awful subject. And I'm not sure that he did do something that Hanukkah hasn't done or that uh, Laszlo Nemesh hadn't done in Son of Saul or that some people hadn't done even... Spielberg in Schindler's List, for example. I'm not sure Glazer has come up with the world's most original take on the Holocaust, but he has come up with a fantastic film. So maybe yeah. I'm asking too much of him for that. There's an interesting question in there, Jason, and that is whether you mentioned a couple of the films, you mentioned Schindler's List, and we also mentioned Pavel Pavlikovsky's Ida. There are obviously ways that, that filmmakers can come at a subject as huge and of his such huge historic relevance as the Holocaust. I wonder if, not that there is any choking going on or anything like this, in t filmically, I mean, I just wonder whether, how many ways there are to come at this film. I mean, obviously, he, ta he takes the central conceit of the Amos novel, which is, you know, what would be happening next door in this horrible factory of death? You know, that's the central thing he takes from the novel, I suppose. And I wonder whether that's we call it the banality of evil, that hyper-ordinary, hyper-mundane, you know, uh, Christian Friedel playing Rudolf Hurst, this, as I said to Christian when we interviewed him, he basically plays a stressed-out executive at certain points, doesn't he? And it's horrible, but maybe that is good enough pillar on which Glazer's film can stand, I wonder, just the hyper-ordinariness of it. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's slightly absurd. Well, it's more than slightly. It is absurd. It is the very definition of, of what became absurd and the theatre of the absurd. We are dealing with absurdities here in that you are like, he's like a, a cast salesman who needs to meet his figures to shift some cars off the forecourt and the, mm. what we're talking about here is he, he's even coming up with a new crematorium system in, in order to actually most efficiently process the mass death the final solution and in fact near the end of the film i don't i don't it's not a spoiler. He gets more and more and more stressed because, you know, Hitler and Himmler have taken note of these impressive figures and they kind of want to increase him. And he gets put in charge of even more of the end of the final solution. And this stresses him out, I think, into a sort of, you know, uh, he's kind of having a panic attack yeah. about this. And his wife doesn't want to leave their idyllic surroundings of the garden, which she showed her mother in, her mother around. And her mother thinks, great, well, you really landed on your feet, my girl, she says. And right. then she stays up at night, having stayed the night, realising there's this sort of furnace of death going on and has a reaction to that so i think that that was rather brilliant and brilliantly funny now it, that's a really interesting thing to do i'm thinking what's glazer done and you know we've we've had mel brooks do funny with the holocaust mm. time for hitler and all that in the producers but not many people have seen the funny side of the of the holocaust and i think that glazer has mined a rich vein of absurdist humor almost in this, to watch Sandra Huller go about her business uh, in this in this house and get, get the children ready for school and give daddy a birthday present and scrub the children when they've been in the lake and find human remains. 
there's a really grim, 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 dark strain of humour where this meeting of all the concentration camp commanders, the sort of Christmas ball that all go to, that's almost Mel Brooks in it, sort of coming together of these kind of successful sort of execs. They could be meeting at a, you know, a service station off the M1, you know, a sort of, you know, and it's a like, well, how are you getting on at M- Mauthausen and how are you getting on in Marienstadt? It's like, oh my God, it's horrific. So I struggle to find it funny, but I think it's funny. I think it's absurd. So I think the tone he has taken is something we haven't seen with the Holocaust. And it is, you know, I'm very, very nervous around, oh, the good German element. You know, there were some good Germans who didn't want to get involved in this. But are these good people? The Hosses? I know. Is Sandra Huller a good person? Hers is a super interesting role, isn't it? And I talked with Christian Friedel about this and about the support that they had to offer for each other to play these horrendous people. What happens to you as a German actor when you have to get up in the morning and put on a Nazi uniform? Or you have to be this fussy mother who is trying to escape her lower middle class background, it seems, if we can judge her as such, uh, 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 because she she doesn't want to leave this gorgeous place, as as you rightly say. And I wonder... I wonder, Jason, I, I wrote down some names before we came on air, and one was Ida, one was Inglorious Bastards, one was Denial, the David Irving film about Holocaust historical Holocaust denial from a formerly eminent historian in the British courts. And I wondered where, sadly, Holocaust films are a genre to themselves, approaching its subject matter at such an oblique angle. I wonder where this sits in the kind of horrendous, grisly pantheon of Holocaust films. It is a bit of a a specialised subject. You know, as a Jewish film critic, you do get to talk about the Holocaust films a lot and they do get to move you a lot. You know, the the sight of piles of shoes, which you see in Auschwitz in the museum, Mm. used to be so triggering to me uh, as a young man. I remember just being shocked and crying when I first ever saw Mm. those images of the piles of shoes. And they do uh, come up again here in this movie. And it, they didn't do that to me this time. And normally mm. it doesn't take much for me to do. You see piles of luggage as well, piles of other surgical equipment. I think what he's trying to do is something that's so banality of evil. I think you you use Hannah Arendt's impre- uh, thing there to sort of say that we've become inured to all of this. We've become inured to images of the Holocaust very much now. I think it's very much part of the narrative that, uh, that Israel is kind of using in debates around the Gaza war that people are sort of telling people to the Holocaust has been weaponized. The Holocaust is kind of overused and you can't have it anymore. So what should Jonathan Glazer, a Jewish filmmaker, do to recapture the full human horror of the Holocaust, to immortalize it, to memorize it? And is it not showing it then, as we see in this, as we don't see in the zone of interest? Is it showing everything but? Does that make it, as a presenter without any skin in the game, Jason, I found that that was exceptionally effective but that's that's easy for me to say. It's happening as a yeah. as a statistic, as the old uh, I think Baudrillard it was that that kind of mentioned it in French philosophy. But that mm. um, the lovely right wing French <laughs> party used to kind of call it. So it does put it there as a sort of factory, the factory of death, and we see that you know burning in the background, ash. It's why her garden's so fertile because it's fertilized with the ash of Jewish victims. 
So whilst I want to sort of say that this is a monumental film, and I you know, I think that the performances are extraordinary, Sandra Huller, I, I can't remember a pair of performances in a single year as good as hers, both here as Mrs. Huss and in Anatomy of a Fall, extraordinary. And so different as well, her walk and her gait in this one is just extraordinary. This woman that she inhabits is a sort of a hausfrau, but also she's uh, very determined to have her own dream, the German dream she's got. She says, you know, Rudolf, this is what we dreamt of. This is what the, the Hitler mm. wanted for us, to have, go east, to have our Lebensraum. It's a very romantic ideal. I found it easier to process this by looking at the absurdist strain of humour yeah. in it. Now, I don't know if it was there. I was. I certainly wasn't. I, there were times when I watched it the second time, when I just tutted or, or sighed or kind of went, oh, God, that's just genius in its absurdity. It's almost a film which denies categorization and therefore stars. Those people come out and say, oh, it's a chilling masterpiece. You must have been shocked. And I, I wasn't because I think it's about how we are immune to this. Immune to it. Yeah, inured to it. And there is, so, despite all the, despite that throbbing, fiery awfulness that's, that's part of the sound design of this film, there is a kind of Yes, yeah, there is a desensitization that happens every year and with current events and all the rest of it that, that pours into that. Jason, thank you so much for your initial reaction and your thorough sort of critical analysis of this. It's been wonderful to have you on the programme. Teaming up with Christian Friedel as Rudolf Huss. Um, it's heavy stuff. It brings out so many, so many thoughts and so many things. It is not critic proof. What I love about it, Rob, thank you for your, your praise, but it's also cinema. You know, cinema yeah. is under threat. What are we going to do? This is not TV. This is not a TV series. This is bold, courageous, ambitious, maybe not entirely successful cinema, but it could only be done by cinema. And for that, Above all, you know, we're thankful to Jonathan Glazer for, for putting this debate and this feeling, this emotion onto the big screen because it needs to be seen on a big screen and heard on a big screen because it's the technique of it is something that I can imagine that Nazis would have admired. <laughs> well, on that note, Jason, thank you very much as ever um, for your wit and wisdom today. Thank you. And that is it for this week. My thanks to Jason Solomons and Christian Friedel. The Zone of Interest is in cinemas from the 2nd of February and we highly recommend it. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu. And Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> <laughs>